welcome to the Kalamopod, the one and only podcast on themes in classical Islamic theology, hosted by me, Hannah Erlwein. Well, ardent listeners of the Kalamopod will remember that the emergence of the science of Kalam goes back to the early days of the expansion of the Islamic Empire. Soldiers in the Muslim army were fighting on all fronts to expand their sphere of influence and so were Islamic theologians, even though their fronts were more of an intellectual kind rather than actual battlefields. The theologians saw themselves confronted with disputes within their own ranks, as well as with the crystallization of different theological positions and groups who all claimed for themselves to know what correct belief entailed. Even if theologians of different schools might have agreed on many fundamental doctrines, they also found themselves in heated disputes about important details associated with these doctrines. For example, God had of course sent his prophet not too long ago so that his audience would follow his call and embrace Islam. But what exactly made one a Muslim? And was there a difference between being a Muslim and being a believer in God? What was the criterion for belief? Was it the utterance of the testimony of faith by the tongue? Or were acts in this place of faith more important? The answers to these questions were not so simple. And turning to the Quran and the reports about the sayings and deeds of the Prophet Muhammad did not necessarily resolve these disputes, as they left room for much speculation and different interpretations. So, while theologians were fighting on internal fronts, they also had to attend to external fronts. With the expansion of the Muslim Empire, they came into contact with adherents of various other faiths. Some of them had a long-standing tradition of theological debate, Examples are Syriac Christian communities who were widespread throughout the Middle East and Zoroastrian communities who had for a long time been the predominant religion of the Persian Empire. Contacts with adherents of other faiths like these propelled Islamic theologians to enter into the arena of polemics and apologetics. What was needed, the theologians realized, was to defend their own convictions, their Islamic beliefs, against doubts and challenges brought forward by these other religions. But we should not make the mistake of thinking that such interreligious polemics were necessarily always hostile. Admittedly, the history of polemics between Islamic theologians and adherents of other religions is a complex one, and cannot easily be boiled down to one attitude. Sometimes they fought vigorously and were unforgiving, and sometimes they turned towards each other with interest and a wish to learn. For an example of the latter attitude, we might want to travel back in time into the middle of the 9th century. This was the time when Muslim rulers were eager to benefit from the vast knowledge contained in books which had come into their possession when they had conquered various important centers of learning. They consequently commissioned the translation of these books into Arabic, 
and many important translators were in fact well-educated Christians. Some Muslim rulers were interested in religious and intellectual questions to such an extent that they invited Christian thinkers of different denominations as well as adherents of other religions to court to engage in debate and disputation. Historical sources recount a conversation between the Caliph al-Ma'amun and Abu Qurra, a Greek Orthodox bishop, about questions like free will and Jesus' relation to God. It is reported that in this debate al-Ma'amun encouraged the respectful exchange of differing views when he said, and I'm quoting, This is a court of justice and equity. Advance your arguments and answer without fear. Let everyone speak who has the wisdom to demonstrate the truth of his religion. But some of the intellectual battles fought by Islamic theologians were less about understanding the teachings of other religions and instead more about challenging them and exposing what they considered inconsistencies, errors and sheer absurdities. An example of this is Abu Mansur al-Maturidi, a 10th century theologian from Samarkand in what is nowadays Uzbekistan. Maturidi is a significant individual in the history of Kalam, as his name is associated with the Maturidiya, an important theological school named after him. In any case, this Maturidi wrote a work entitled Kitab At-Tawhid, or The Book on Declaring God's Oneness and Uniqueness. In this book, he writes about a great number of other faiths, whose doctrines he goes on to challenge. Maturidi tells us clearly who his opponents are. Jews, Christians, adherents of dualistic religions like Zoroastrians and Manichaeans, proponents of Greek philosophy, Buddhists and others. And I should say that certain Islamic sects and groups were not safe from Maturidi's critique either. We know that not all individuals and groups who are criticized in the Kitab al-Tawhid actually lived in Samarkand. Of some of them, Maturidi only read or heard. But with some other groups, Maturidi had personal encounters in Samarkand, including Zoroastrians and Manichaeans. Both religions had a long history in the region. Manichaeans reached back to the 3rd century of the Common Era, when their prophet Mani appeared and proclaimed his message, and Zoroastrians had an even longer history to look back at, having been established by the prophet Zoroaster or Zarathustra several centuries before the beginning of the Common Era. When Muslim armies conquered Samarkand at the beginning of the 8th century, so that's almost 200 years before Maturidi's lifetime, many Zoroastrian and Manichaean priests fled the city, but seizable communities stayed behind. It is with these two groups that Maturidi had a particular bone to pick. This is apparent in the frequency with which he mentions them in the Kitab Atahid. In several places he describes their beliefs in order to plunge into detailed refutations of them. However, much of Maturidi's critique 
revolves around a central idea espoused by Zoroastrians and Manichaeans. This is the belief that the creation of the world was brought about by two eternal principles, good and evil, or light and darkness. By the way, this is also why Zoroastrianism and Manichaeism are called dualistic religions, because they focus on these two principles. In any case, it will be evident to ardent listeners of the Kalamopod that the Zoroastrian and Manichaean account of the creation of the world is very different from how Islamic theologians viewed the issue. The latter, of course, believed that it was God alone who created the world, not light and darkness or good and evil, which are in fact part of God's creation. Now, what's interesting about Maturidi's Kitab al-Tahid is that he attacked dualistic religions not only openly, but also in a more subtle way. What I mean is that he construed some of his proofs for Islamic doctrines in a way that contained an implicit attack on the central doctrine of dualistic religions, that the creation of the world was brought about by two eternal principles. Let me explain to you what I mean. You might remember from episode 5 of the Kalamopod that Islamic theologians put much emphasis on providing rational grounds for the belief that the world was indeed God's creation. Unsurprisingly, Maturidi was also very much concerned with this proof. But his arguments are quite unique in the history of Kalam, as he rests the proof on nothing else than the notions of good and evil in the world. This is hardly found in the works of other Islamic theologians. Consider the following argument Maturidi presents, and I'm quoting. The proof that the world has an originator is this. If the world existed due to itself and not due to an originator, there would be no point in time which is more appropriate for it than any other, and no state which is better for it than any other, and no characteristic which is more suitable for it than any other. But since the world is described by different points in time, states and characteristics, it is clear that it does not exist due to itself. To say it differently, if the world did exist due to itself and not due to an originator, it would be possible that every single thing assigned to itself a state which is most beautiful and the best, but this would mean that evil and horrible things would not exist. So their factual existence proves that the world exists due to an originator and not due to itself. So, this is a rather interesting argument. Maturidi wants to prove that the world was brought about by God, and he does so by arguing that the alternative, namely that the world just is and does not need a creator, is false. Why is this false? Because a world which derives its existence from itself might bring about only the most beautiful and best characteristics. But when we look into the world, we can clearly see that there is in fact a lot of evil to be found. The existence of evil is, for Maturidi, proof that the world was created, fashioned and made by God. 
But it is not just the existence of evil which for Martoridi proves that God is the creator of the world. It is, in fact, the existence of evil and good, side by side, which proves that the world is dependent on a creator. Consider the following argument, which Martoridi puts forward, and I'm quoting again. God made creation so that it points to its dependence on a wise and knowledgeable creator, and this is evident when you consider that it is made of harmful and beneficial things. The combination of harmful and beneficial things, as well as of good and evil, clearly reveals the marvel of his wisdom, since they are by their nature opposed to each other. Now, what do Maturidi's arguments like these have to do with adherents of dualistic religions like Zoroastrians and Manichaeans? I think it is no coincidence that Maturidi placed such great emphasis on the ideas of good and evil in his arguments. This is of course not to say that he never mentions other opposing characteristics found in the world, for he does in fact speak of small and big things, which are for him just as much a proof that God created the world. But his choice to invoke the ideas of good and evil remains striking. I think that this was a deliberate choice on the part of Martoridi because he wanted to position himself against a central belief held by the adherents of dualistic religions. If the existence of evil and good in the world is, as Martoridi wants us to believe, definite proof that God created the world, then this sort of argument contains an implicit critique of the belief that the world was created by good and evil. The Zoroastrians and Manichaeans got it all wrong, Martoridi wants to say. And indeed, we can assume that the Zoroastrian and Manichaean theologians, whom Maturidi encountered in Samarkand, did realize what his argument implied. So, there you are. We got a little insight into the long history of polemics between Islamic theologians and theologians of other religions. The case of Maturidi is, as I find, a particularly fascinating example. It vividly illustrates that Islamic theologians took great interest in learning about other faiths and in refuting any aspects of them which they considered opposed to the true religious teachings of Islam. But it also illustrates that it was precisely such polemical encounters which left a mark on the way in which Islamic theologians thought about the foundation of their own beliefs. Encounters with other faiths provided them with new concepts, forms of argument and proof. Islamic theologians found themselves in a race, one might want to conclude, for who had the better, more convincing arguments. And there were many opponents, internally and externally, who had to be convinced. For it wasn't so clear who was in the right about many issues. And one of them was the vexed question about the political leadership of the Muslim community. But this story has to wait till the next episode of the Kalamopod, the one and only podcast on themes in classical Islamic theology, hosted by Hannah Elman. Thanks for listening and hear you soon. <laughs>